can open up to the book of Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, that, uh, that really just got said. <laughs> if you have trouble finding it, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So uh, you can just go to Matthew, where we were, and then just throw it in reverse for a spell. It'll end up there. And then when you get there, we'll go ahead and uh, begin with prayer. Is this the Gill-approved distance? I just got to not lean forward and I'll be okay. All right. Most gracious Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for this evening that we're able to share together. I pray, God, that or you would speak to our hearts, God, that you'd speak a message to each one of us individually. Lord, um, I just feel, you know, more so than usual, <laughs> completely unable to do that. Um, Lord, so I just pray that you would have your way with our hearts, Lord, with this moment. Lord, that we wouldn't uh, take it, or at least perceive it to be just another church moment, but that we would really expect to hear from you, that we would expect to be moved by you, that our lives redirected and drawn closer to you. And Lord, for that I do just, I thank you and I praise you. Uh, Lord, I ask all this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so you have to forgive me um, if this this message seems somewhat unorganized and uh, scattered and all of that. Sam did give me ample notice for this one. I mean, it was it was something like what was it? Sam was it like three weeks, two weeks. That you, yeah, yeah. And usually it's like a couple of days before, you know. And you're like, hey, you need to you need to do stuff. And I'm like, whoa. But um. You know, I all all week and for the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, preparing just little bits of messages and then just throwing them out, and then uh, typing a little bit on the computer and then just deleting it, and uh, then thinking up different ideas for a series and then uh, scrapping it. Uh, and like, and Corinne can can testify to my insanity over the last several days. I mean, even yesterday at at nine o'clock. Like right when she was getting ready to go to bed, because now she goes to bed at nine. She's just super old, and um, and so she 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 was like, "So what do you you know what you're going to be teaching on?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to do this series on like what we're called to do, right?" And it can do like little because it has to be four parts. And I'm like, you know, we'll do four part series. Like you know, the first one will be like called to worship, you know, and and I was like, that that'll be nice, and we'll all worship together, and that'll just be wonderful. Uh, but then every single time I sat down to type something like, uh, like God just, he just wasn't there and that stinks. right. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if any of you, you know, prepare messages, I know uh, there's, there's actually several, uh, in this room that you guys are, are speakers. You're probably, you know, like looking at me now and going, I wish Sam had asked me, I would have had stuff to share, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I have, 
like zero natural ability for this. It's just, it's not in me. I'm not the guy that's like, you know, hey, you have an opportunity to speak. And I'm like, good, because I have stuff to share, you know, and you're all going to listen to me. That's just not in me. That's not who I am, you know, intuitively. So I'm, I'm just, I'm completely dependent on God to, to, you know, put something on my heart or to, to share something with me, you know, not in some weird audible voice type of way. I don't, you know, I'm not waiting for him to go, Michael, this is what you will share, you know? And I'm like, fantastic. You know, let's do this. Uh, but no, I mean, I need, I need something and I had nothing. And it was 1245 last night uh, when I typed this first sentence Right. And uh, and I was just getting so close to sending Sam a message and being like, hey, you know, I know you wanted me to do this for four weeks, but, you know, you're up because I got nothing. <laughs> and, and God's just he is so over me, apparently, because he isn't talking to me at all. And uh, but, you know, God's amazing. He really is. He's surprising. Uh, he speaks to us you know, through these scriptures that, that testify of him and they're often the voice of him. And, uh, it was, it was the direct voice of him last night that came through, came through the book of Malachi. What a weird place to end up. You know, it's not like I was planning on, Hey, you know what? Let's, uh, let's teach an obscure minor prophet. That's what we'll do for this four week series. Just like that wasn't, wasn't my plan, but you know, God said something, and I was like, I know that. I've heard that. And this is where it was. And the entire conversation that uh, began to flow from uh, you know, the, the throne of God to uh, the, the lazy boy of the Turner house was Malachi. It was right here. And the first thing that God said uh, well, it wasn't verse one, and God didn't begin by saying an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. That would be a really weird thing for him to say, but he began in verse two, and he said, I have loved you, says the Lord. You know, I was, uh, I was just there, you know, past midnight, and, and I even typed this, this prayer on, on my page. I can't read it to you. Uh, you, you would instantly identify with it and then, then lose respect for me as a result of it and, and then never want to talk to me again. So it would be a bad idea to share it. But, but you know, it was, it was an honest prayer. And I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? What, what, what are you doing? Why, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you giving me anything to share with these great people who come out so faithfully every Thursday and then comes this word and, and, and I'm, and, uh, you know, I'm not one of those hyper spiritual kind of guys. I don't often, you know, I'm not that guy to go like, hey, you know, Lord gave me a word, brother. And I'm going to share that word with you. It's, it's like God rarely gives me a word. And when he does, it's usually something terrible. You know, he, he give, give me a word every now and again. It's like suffering. There you go. Run with that. And it's like, ah, oh, yay, fun. You know, and uh, but, but this was the God gave me a word. And he, and, he, and he began by saying, I love you. And that made me more nervous than any more. Uh, word that he has ever given me in the past. He, he begins and he says, you know I love you, right? You know I love you. Let's begin there. 
and 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 G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, he he has he actually talked about Malachi. Who talks about Malachi? But G. Campbell Morgan did, and he said I, I, that, that this word can be translated as "I have loved you, I do love you, and I will love you." Right? The tense doesn't mean I loved you and that was then and this is now, but I'm over you. He says, I, I just want to remind you of that. And it's not of how it used to be, it's how it is. I love you. I always have and I always will. And uh, where I waited and I was silent and, and I, I knew more than to interrupt and interject and jump into the conversation and, and, and shoot my mouth off. Israel did that quite well. Continuing in verse 2, they said, but you ask, how have you loved us? And God says, you know I love you, right? And then Israel says, how have you loved us? Right? The arrogance and the idiocy of it all. How have you loved me? What have you ever done for me, God? You know, it's like, well, God, if you really loved me, you'd give me a message so I don't look like a banana head when I get up there tomorrow night. You know, and, 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 and you, you might say, well, God, if you really loved me, you'd give me a, a better job. You'd give me a better car. You'd give me, uh, you, you know, you'd, you'd give me a mate that, that listens to me, maybe, or kids that honor me, or whatever it might be. You know, you'd make my life cushy and without conflict. How have you loved me? And we so easily forget what he so wonderfully reminds us of. Continuing in verse 2, he says, I chose you. Right? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. And this text bothers us more than it should. And I don't want to spend that much time here, but I see the necessity of it. You know, we read it and and uh, and many of us, our minds instantly go to predestination and election and this whole argument of Calvinism and and we come to these dramatic and damning conclusions. Well, God chooses some to love and he chooses others to hate. And this is God. And this is what this passage teaches. And, and, and with some, he decides to share his love. With others, he decides to share his wrath. And some are born to receive love. And at the end of it, heaven. Others are born to receive, you know, hatred. And at the end of it, hell. And no one really has a choice in the matter. And this is what... What, what, what some contend that this verse says. But remember, uh, this passage was given, the, the sole purpose of it, the intention of it, uh, the, the, the genesis of it, uh, to, you know, to 
throw in some subliminal advertising for our church's moniker, is, is an origin of comfort. Right? God said this to comfort these people. Right? He said, he is, you, you, were, you, you were chosen. You were, you were loved before you were even born. That's how God feels about you. This is the way he sees you. And now you have to ask yourself the, the question, is this not the way God treated Esau? Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Did God create Esau to pour out his wrath upon him? You know, you can study the Genesis record, and it's Genesis chapter 33 and Genesis chapter 36, and you, will you, you won't find that. In fact, you'll find the complete opposite of that. God blessed Esau enormously, right? He gave him every chance to repent and to turn to the Lord, and he didn't. And when he was wiped out by his enemies, God left him wiped out. Was when Israel was wiped out by his enemies, God restored him. Why? Right, so Israel accepted the Lord, and God accepted Israel. Esau rejected the Lord, and the Lord rejected Esau. And Calvinists love to twist verses like this to support their own preconceived notions about uh, who God is and how God works. But even Calvin himself... Right? You could read Calvin's own commentary on this text, and he said that it doesn't need to be any more complicated than this, that the Hebrew actually lends itself to this linear interpre interpretation that Israel accepted God, and so they were accepted by God. And Esau rejected God, and so they were rejected by God. God isn't going to force anyone to accept him. Listen, if you don't, don't want to walk with me, if you don't want to believe me, if you don't want to follow after me, then you don't have to. Right? Israel was elected for salvation, and they accepted salvation. Or they accepted it because they were elected for it. And you can go round and round in the circle of Calvinism. And already most of you, you look completely bored. It has to be mentioned because it's in the text. And many of you would come up to me afterwards and say, well, you really skirted around that issue of Calvinism, didn't you, brother? And I don't know if any of you would call me brother. Maybe other churches might. But, but this, is, uh, this is the offer that is extended to all men. Right? The Bible, uh, you know, if you're arguing for this, this point of, you know, uh, absolute sovereignty and, and, and the complete absence of free will on our part to choose God, you'd be fighting a losing battle with a verse as simple as John 3.16. You know, because God loves everyone and God gives everyone a choice. And a choice is set before you, and it's, you know, the, 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 the path is laid clear in front of you, and, and, and that is the part that should fundamentally trouble you. If you don't have a head that just wants to argue doctrine. You know, a woman once asked uh, Spurgeon, and there has to be a, a Spurgeon illustration, so this is it. She said, uh, I, I can't understand why the Bible would say that God hated Esau. And Spurgeon replied and said, it is, uh, it's not my difficulty, madam. Uh, my trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. That should be our great obstacle to overcome. 
as far as this text is concerned. How could God love any of us? Right, but he does. That's an incredible thing to consider. God begins this passage by saying, I have loved you. I always will love you. And I'm going to say that before I say anything else. Right? And, and I could hear the, the voice of my mother in this passage. And it's, it's stern, but compassionate. And she's looking at me, a wee little Michael that had uh, just done something terribly wrong. And she's got her paddle in her hand, and she's, she's about to uh, spank me. But before she does, she says, I want you to remember that I love you. You know that I love you, right? And then we go, okay. I know that you love me. And I know that I did something wrong. And he says, yeah. I'm not going to wait till the end to tell you this. I'm going to verbally spank you, but before I do, I'm going to remind you that I love you. And listen, if you've been saved for any measure of time, right, you've, you've had those moments with God and uh, those moments where it seems like he's talking directly to you and you're talking directly to him. You've had those conversations with God and they haven't all been pleasant conversations. Sometimes they're really difficult. Sometimes they can be characterized only as, you know, verbal spankings. And uh, that was my conversation last night. And that conversation ended at around 3.30 in the morning. And when that conversation ended, I had a choice. I thought, well, um, I need to wake up at 7 and get ready for work so I could work all day and then come here and share a message. So, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I can start preparing a message post-spanking, or I can just share the spanking. And I took the easy way out. And so we all get to share in this conversation. Um, and it's a necessary one, I think, for many of us. All right? And it begins in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master if I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you bring blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And here's the question. Are you ready for it? You're not going to like it. Because right? I didn't like it. I didn't like, I didn't like hearing it. He, he says, where is the honor due me? He says, where is the reverence? Where is the respect? You call me funny. Or no, you call me father, and, and this is this is funny. This is uh, this is great. One of the things that that I talked to Corinne about, I said we could do a series on the the titles of God, and I said I'll start by talking about God the Father, and and I thought that would be a really cute idea, 
you know, God the Father, because I'm about to be a father, so I could share insights on, you know, fatherhood, even though I'm not a father yet. It'd be a cute little idea for a message, you know, with this season so rapidly approaching us. And this is uh, the, the passage that God chooses. He says, you call me father, right? You wanted to, you wanted to preach on that. You wanted to talk to them about how I'm your father. The ironic thing about it is you don't treat me like a father at all. You don't respect me like you would respect a father. You don't honor me like you would honor a father. You call me master. Am I really your master? He said, my, how attentive you are to your master at work. It's, it's incredible. You wake up early and, and you go to work all day. You spend 10 hours there. And then you come home. And as soon as you get home, you take out your laptop so that you can continue working from home. Right? I mean, you are, you are insanely attentive to your brain's own master. And it's, and, and it's your duty. And it's your delight. And, and, and I sit there and I, I, and I hear this and I go, well, I owe it to her. She signs my paychecks. Well, what do I owe to God? He's done a little bit more than sign my paycheck, hasn't he? He's done a little bit more than give me financial support for a, a two-week period. You know, he, he put on flesh for me. He walked this planet with, with rotten humanity for me. He came and he touched people just like me so that I could see him and understand that he is a God of great compassion and love, that he's not lofty and distant, that he's personal. And then he was beaten and he was whipped and he was crucified for me. And he offers himself for all of eternity to me. And he says, I'm your father, right? Yeah. He goes, I'm your master, right? Yeah, yeah. And he goes, so why don't you treat me like it? Why do you show such contempt for me? And listen, I want you to hear that word again. Contempt. That's the word that God chose. And that, that's a heavy word. You know, I was blown away by that. You know, he goes, why, why do you show contempt for me? It's, 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 it's it, at this point I mustered a peep. I, I didn't, I didn't hold it back like I had earlier. And, and I, I, I looked at Israel in that passage and I said, oh, you're, you're so arrogant and out to lunch. But, but on, I, I, I couldn't, how have I shown you contempt? I go to church, I serve at church, I read my Bible, I do what I'm supposed to do. That's not contemptible. I'm doing what you wanted me to do, right? I know I haven't done an introduction to this book and, and for you know a guy that uh, I, I guess you're supposed to teach like verse for verse and begin with all that background information. I've done a terrible job, but uh, Israel 
in this book. They'd returned to their homeland, been released from Babylonian captivity. They've rebuilt the temple and restored the temple sacrifices. And it's been a hundred years. And a hundred years is a really long time, right? Uh, you give anyone a hundred years of anything and they'll begin to devalue it. That's just the way we're wired. Um, you know, post-fall wiring, I guess. I'm not going to blame God for my shortcomings. It, but there's just this thing in us where, you know, you give anyone enough time. And, and the things that, that used to uh, mystify us and, 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 and rapture our emotions, they, they no longer capture our attention, captivate our affection. We do it with we do it with everything, right? We do it with our jobs. We do it with, with our house. We do it with our car. We do it with our phones. You know, you get a phone, you're like, this is the best device ever. And this is fantastic. And then the, the, it's, it's amazing. And, and then what? There's an, there's an iPhone 5? There's five of them now? This is just a sick joke. And it's, I'm in the Stone Age with this iPhone 4S, and it's a worthless piece of technology now, you know, and it's a hardly be called a piece of technology. It's just, it's like an 80s cellular phone, you know, it's pathetic. It's like I'm on Saved by the Bell over here, you know, and, and, and we do that with our friends. We do that with our family, right? We do it with our, with our spouse. There, there's, and, and there was a time when, when Corinne, we were dating, Corinne lived in Artesia, and I lived in San Antonio Heights, where we still live. And, uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's about an hour, that drive, right? Boo, hour, yeah. And uh, there, when we were dating, it was, it was so, it was not a problem. I, I looked forward to the drive, you know, an hour long drive. And the, the whole time, just, you know, it felt, like, it felt like a moment, you know, a fragment of a second. I longed to see her so much. It was just, you know, I, I couldn't wait to get on that road and, and to make that drive. And now she, you know, asked me for a, a drink of water. And I'm like, that's in the kitchen. <laughs> that's like... That's like 15 feet away from my chair. <laughs> I, I look at her and I'm like, I spoil you. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and, but, but with time, you know, there, there comes this familiarity. And, 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 and if we're not careful, we can just completely devalue that which can only be characterized as, as being beyond the measure of value. And, and, it's, and it's routine. You know, they'd been doing this in the temple for 100 years, and they'd fallen, to a, they'd fallen into a pattern of it. And, and, and we can do the same thing. And it's Thursday, so I'll go to church. And I always go to church on Thursday. And it's Sunday, and so I'll go, I'll go to church on Sunday because I always go to church on Sunday, and, and, and we're content with these habitual motions and and we just say, well, you know, they're they're good enough. But let's consider that phrase for a moment, right? Be, because I think that 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 two word phrase accurately sums up the attitude of these priests. And, and let's be honest, we're in the Bible called a, a holy priesthood, so this is us too, 
You know, he says, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at us and they're saying, well, everything I'm doing is, is fine. It's, it's good. It's just good enough. And I'm still performing all my priestly duties. I'm doing essentially uh, what I've always done and what needs to be done. And we're still offering sacrifices, and, and they, still, they still were. And they're still in the temple. They're still taking care of business. Uh, but they didn't bring their best. Right? They, they kept all that at home. Right? They kept all that for themselves. And, and they weren't passionate about what they were doing. They were just doing it because it's what they're supposed to do, and it's what they've been doing for 100 years. And they'd reached a level of maturity that was comfortable for them. And uh, everything else was just good enough. And they just carried on what they'd always been doing. We need to make sacrifices. So let's look at everything that we got and see what we can sacrifice to God. And when they looked over everything they, they had, they said, well, I got this goat that's blind, and well, God can have that. And they looked over everything they had, and they said, well, I got this bread that's moldy, and well, God can have that. And, uh, and you know, they're like, what else am I going to do with it? You know, I'll just give that to God. And that'll make God happy, right? That's what he wants. And... Uh, the attitude is that God gets what I don't really care about. And that was their attitude. And that could easily be our attitude. And listen, what else am I going to do on a Thursday night? What am I going to do? What am I going to do on a Sunday morning? Right? That, uh, that time, that's moldy bread time. Right? That's the middle of the week. That's early Sunday morning. That's, that's easy time. Right. And uh, but really, you know, Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, that's that's what you're asking for me, me to give up now. Uh, Sunday evening. Really? Maybe a, a weekend trip. Another another midweek. That's that's kind of asking a lot. I mean, that's like a goat that can see, <laughs> you know, that's that's like bread that that isn't moldy. You know, that's, that's kind of good stuff. That's stuff that's important to me. <laughs> and so you're kind of asking a lot from me at this point. And, and uh, you know, I've already given you this. Why aren't you, why, aren't, why isn't that, why can't you just be happy with that? You know, and, and, there we go. God, you know, I've already given you so much. What do you want from me? And then God says in this passage, I want you to look at me in a way that isn't filled with contempt. That's what I want from you. you go like, God, I've already given you so much. What do you want? He goes, this is, this is it. That's all I want. I want you to not look at me contemptuously when I ask you, to do something for me that you would easily do for your father or for your master. You would bend over backwards for them. You would move mountains for them. 
you would do anything for them. And all you do is look at me with contempt. You give me the moldy scraps. You give me the blind animals. I want you to do that or I want you to do something else. And this is the other thing, right? You either do that or you do this. You can either not look at me with contempt or you can stop calling me your father and your master because it's a lie. Because I'm not your father at this point. I'm basically a stranger to you. And you treat me like you would treat a stranger. Is everyone having fun? There's a, there's a family that comes in uh, to the tutoring center on Saturdays. Um, oh, my gum just jumped down my mouth. And they have, right, every, every Saturday. Ever since I've been there, I actually trained uh, with, with one of these little girls. Monique is her name. Maybe I shouldn't mention her name. Her name is something other than Monique. That's what you need to know about this girl. Her name is definitely not Monique. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was talking to, and now I, I tutor uh, both uh, her and her little brother. And I was talking to, sorry, precious Mike. I was talking to Boo the other day, and uh, I was saying, you know, as soon as our baby's born, I almost just want to give our baby to this dad because he's going to be such a better father to our little man child than I could ever be. I mean, he, uh, he, our, 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 our kid, if, if, you know, boom, there you go. I give it to this guy. Our kid would have an amazing father and he would grow up to be a world leader because this man is raising presidents. He really is. I mean, his daughter, uh, she's in third grade. All right, I've been working with her for three years, so she's in third grade now. And we had to, uh, we had to manipulate a test. I don't want to say lie, but this test measures, it starts measuring intelligence at the third grade. You can't test them before that. And we gave her the test last year because she would breeze through everything we put in front of her. And uh, she scored off the test for high schoolers. She was in second grade at the time. I mean, this girl's brilliant. And then, uh, hey there, and then we uh, gave her, or we gave her brother tests. He scored above junior high, and he was in the first grade. And I'm just like, where, what is, what is this dad doing? I know it's not me. I'm not that good of a tutor, you know? It's, uh, he's just an amazing father. And I, I watched, I've watched him with these two kids every single week. And he's as much their friend and teacher as he is their father. You know, one moment he's sitting on the ground playing with, playing with magnets with these two kids. And, and the next minute he's running through their multiplication tables and, and teaching them the periodic table. She, she'd memorized the periodic table in first grade. And they, they hate to be separated from from him and 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 as a result they've just gleaned genius and maturity from him and and when i thought about this that 
that came into my head and I was like, boy, is that how my Christianity is? Is that how your Christianity is? And God says to these priests, listen, you're calling me father. You don't treat me like a father, right? You never really allow me to be your father, right? I, I've loved you like a father and you respond by giving me the scraps of your life. Listen, I can't remember the last time that I, I uh, sat on the ground and just hung out with God, right? I'm always trying to squeeze God into my busy schedule the way I would squeeze a, a stranger into my busy schedule. And there is no end to the energy I'm willing to, to invest in, into spending time you know, with, with my boss at work or my, my earthly father. But, but that's not the way I treat God. And, 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 and God says something needs to be Something needs to change here. And, and he includes this really neat little detail here. He says, if you tried to treat the government the way that you treat me, it wouldn't work there. Right? If we, if we treated our boss the way that we treat God, it wouldn't work there either. Right? If, we treat, if I treated my dad the way I treated God, my dad would hit me. Right? And I'm almost 30. He doesn't care. He would beat me. But, but this is this is this is the way that we view God, and, and and we have this attitude of God. Well, God is gracious and compassionate, and He understands and all this, and that's actually their response in verse nine. He says, "Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from Your hands. Will He accept you?" Says the Lord Almighty. It's like, well, you know what? We just talked on Sunday about how God is a God of love, and that's just who God is, and He's going to be okay with whatever I can do and and yeah I love you this is just you know the kind of love that I'm going to show to you because I don't really have a ton of time for you and uh, and and I can give uh, God the scraps of my life after I've spent all the all the other stuff on things that are really important to me Right after I've uh, spent my my finances and times and passions and emotion on things that are I really care about, I can give God the leftovers, and He'll be fine with that, right? Because God is gracious, and He's probably just happy that I'm making time for Him at all, right? God probably just has this attitude, and this is even something that you hear commonly in messages. You know, just wedge them in wherever you can wedge them in, and God will be good with that, right? You give me your, your five minutes or two verses or whatever, and, and God has this attitude where he sees that, and he's like, oh, I really appreciate that guy's heart. You know, I know he's really busy. He's got a lot of, a lot of really important stuff happening in his life. I'll just be up here running the universe and wait for him to talk to me. You know, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, we, we have this such, it's such a narcissistic, arrogant mindset that we think, well, everything I'm doing is so important, I'll squeeze the creator of the universe in there somewhere. I'll give him a moment here and there, you know, and, 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 and you know, and he looks down and he's like, hey, shucks, thanks for throwing me a bone, guys. That's awesome. You know, I'm just glad I could be a part of your important life, you know, that's, uh, that's super. Uh, but that's that's not the attitude at all. He's, he actually says in verse 10, and you can take a look at it with your own eyes if you want to be convicted by something terribly tonight. He says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. 
The amazing thing is, is that we think, and, and, and we've fooled ourselves into thinking that this is, this is enough, and God is pleased with this because I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what's, what's, what's good enough, right? I'm, I'm, at least I'm doing this, and my routine is better than nothing. But to God, that's not the case. It's not, and it's very clear to see that. Right? He, he says, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's mechanical and it's routine and it's habitual, but, you know, whatever. God gets the scraps and I'm sure he's good with that. So it's another Thursday. It's another Sunday. It's another uh, quick, pointless prayer that I'll throw up before a meal. It's another time when Danny's doing the worship or Tony's doing the worship and, and we're listening to the worship and singing along with the worship. But we're thinking, I think he might have just played a wrong note. Right, or he just said it's on the PowerPoint. It says, "Here I am to worship," and he keeps on he keeps on saying it wrong every single. And and then Sam gets up, and and we're listening to Sam, and we're thinking about what Sam is saying, and and then Sam says something different. Right, he's up there, and he's he's giving what he calls a talk. Right, and Lord only knows. It's like I would say sermon. I would say message, whatever. And we hear that and, and these things that are a little bit unnatural and less intuitive, and we're like, he said talk. Why does he say talk? And we're missing the point of the talk while he's given the talk because we're fixated on the word talk. And, and I mean, this is, there's a problem here. And, and, and it's, it, we're missing the point of it all here. And, and then we walk out the doors, and we leave tonight, we leave on Sunday, and we, we do our whatever it is, and we're like, great, I'm, I'm done, we're, we're through, now I can go out there, and I can get on with my life, and I can go do something that I want to do. And you don't say it, because that would make you carnal. But we all think it to some degree. And, and we think, well, you know, I was there, so... That was what God really wanted. God was happy that I was there. And uh, this is what God says. I don't want you here. And it hurts to hear it, doesn't it? I didn't say it. It hurt for me to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I began to think, well, what am I doing here? Am I missing the point of all this entirely? Because God says, I would rather you shut the door than continue doing what you're doing in my house. Because it's not honoring to me. And I think, well, at least I'm here and I'm worshiping, right? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And he says, well, you might as well not be here because what you're offering as worship, I'm not accepting as worship. It's not worship. It's a lie. You're just showing up and you're going through the motions. And he says to those priests and many of us as his holy priesthood that what you're offering when you come in to that place, when you say, I don't know, that prayer, when you go through your routine, when you cram God into your oh-so-important schedule in life, what you're doing is offensive to him. And, and I had never thought that what I was doing was offensive to him. And I was heartbroken by the thought of it. Uh, David Guzik, he wrote in his commentary on this passage, it's a great little point. He says, we're concerned with church growth, evangelism, church planting, 
yet in some cases the best thing that we can do for the cause of the Lord is to shut the doors of many of the churches. And God says your worship is worthless. And you care so little for me and about me that it's actually offensive. Right? And that 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 should be one of those those ouch moments. Because, you know, my my for if if it was my mom, that would that would be when the wooden paddle came down. My mom used to put tally marks on it. There's there's something when you when you start doing things like that that indicates that you enjoy abusing people. <laughs> but but this is that moment, right? It just it just came down and and it hurts. And he says, stop the services because you don't really care about them. You don't really care about me, right? You don't pretend like this would dramatically disrupt your lifestyle. Imagine God saying this to Israel and he's like, I just want someone to close the doors and just walk away from this whole mess. And they're like, oh no, the temple, we have to, I love God in the temple. And he says, you're, you're a hypocrite. You groan inwardly every time that you feel obligated to lift a finger for me. And every single time, you know, I'm going to uh, d disrupt your, your convenience and your lifestyle. And he says, let's just bring an end to it. Let's just stop playing this game. Let's stop pretending like this is really where your heart is. This is really where your passion is. Let's just slam the doors and put a lock on it. And, and, and I stopped and I camped out on this passage. For a while, and I contemplated my life and my priorities, and, and I should be done in a couple of minutes, which is probably just so good. Um, and I and I thought, you know, could God, could God really be saying this to me? Could God really be saying to me, like, you know what? I know your heart, and this is such a small thing to you. Uh, that if I were to close the doors, it wouldn't devastate you. Right? You have devalued me to such a degree that if I, if I didn't show up, you wouldn't even notice me. Right? Because it seems like I hadn't really even noticed that God wasn't speaking until I really needed him to speak. Right? You know, I was right there preaching the next day. If you can call this preaching, this is more like a like an open confession. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like you know, he, he goes, "I haven't been around for a while. You didn't notice. You didn't really care, did you?" It's like you know, and 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 it hurts to think about. But you know what God says, just because you're not worshiping me doesn't mean that I'm not worshiped. It just means that you're missing out. Right? And that's the rest of the chapter. So hopefully we'll go out on a high note. Uh, in verse 11, my name will be great amongst the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great amongst the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled. 
and of the food. It is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has uh, accepted, uh, yeah, who has an accept, I'm sorry, mule in his flock and vows to give it away, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared amongst the nations. Listen, if you don't worship me, you're missing out because I'm a great king. And I don't know what you, what you think of when you read the Bible. I always, I always try to imagine a tone whenever I'm reading anything because it's not, you know, there in the text. I don't know how God said, for I am a great king. It was God shouting there. Is he whispering there? I don't imagine that. That'd be weird. It'd be a weird thing to whisper. And someone goes, I'm a great king. I just that that hit you wrong, but but you know I I hear it, and the thing that really bothers me about the tone is that it's not my tone. In the midst of all of his people, God had to say this about himself because no one was really saying it about him. So God had to take it upon himself to say, "You you you remember me, right? I'm a great." king and it's a and i imagine the the, the tender broken-hearted voice saying this was your job it was it was you know me it should be you that is proclaiming me to the nations instead they see me they recognize me and you guys i'm, I'm closest to you and you've completely missed it you're oblivious to it i am a great king. And if you won't say it, I'll say it because it's true. I'm, I'm your great king. I could be to you a great master. I could be to you a great father. And others come before me. They, they, they worship and they receive and I give because it's more than a routine to them. They're not just going through the motions with me. They, they actually delight in me. They care about me. They're, they're passionate about me. It's where they find their satisfaction. They're not looking at the clock thinking, oh, goodness, he has been teaching for 40 minutes when I thought I only had 15 minutes to say up here, which is surprising. That's an aside. And you're like, I wish it was 15 minutes. But, but you know, it's like, you know, this is, this, this, but this is what we do. And this is how, how so often we, we think. And, and, and we've relegated God to, to, to a reminder on our calendar app. You know, and, and it's like he's not the one that, that I'm, I'm clinging to and hanging off of like those kids with their father every single Saturday. I'm not sitting with him on the ground, you know, and allowing him to, to teach me personally and, you know, play with me individually. As weird a thought as that is to think of. He says, you walk with me, but I'm a stranger to you. That's the way you treat me. You ignore me. For a few moldy minutes, you know, when you're weak, you pretend to really care about me. And uh, you pretend that I'm your top priority. And I'm not. Says they love me as a child. And because they love me as a child, I was their father. There could be 
so much more if we're simply not satisfied with what can only be described as good enough. You know, God says, I want you, my people, to be part of this movement of pure worship that sets aside all the moldy nonsense and says, God, this is all of me. This is the best of me, and I'm going to bring it before you. I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm going to be ridiculous for you. I'm going to devote myself completely to you. I'm going to stop pretending like you're my father and you're my master if I'm not acting like you're my father and you're my master because I want to receive from you the way that one would receive from a father and a master. It can only come from you. It's not going to come from a preacher. I don't care how good the sermon is. It's not going to come from, you know, an inspiring worship song, no matter how great the melody is. It's at his fingertips. And he offers it willingly to any that would come before him and simply say, I'm dissatisfied and I'm tired of it all just being good enough. I'm tired of putting other things before you and saying that they're truly important. And and God says, I know that this is harsh. And and if... (laughs) If Sam does decide to let me speak the next three weeks, and 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 we do, and, and that was a face that you made, and and, and uh, if we do decide to go through Malachi, and I, and I don't know why I would, uh, hopefully, hopefully we don't we don't have to do that, and uh, it actually gets worse, but it all begins with this word. You know I love you, right? And and I chose you. I chose you, and I love you. And I chose you for more than what you're living in, more than what you're accepting, because I love you. I have so much more for you. Let's pray, and then let's get Tony up here to play several songs to wash wash this evening down. (laughs) Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't, I, I I don't know. This was this was a very difficult time for me, and it seems like this is what you wanted me to do as terrible and transparent as it was. Lord, you you had a heavy word for Israel, and it was your last word to Israel for four hundred years. Yeah, before your son came to them. You loved them then. You love us now. Lord, you desire more for us. And I think that no matter where we're at with you, that is still true of your heart towards us. You want more for us because you see that there is so much more that you offer us. Are preoccupied. We're 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 at the same time easily satisfied and completely dissatisfied. We're fickle. I pray, God, that as we sit before you, 
this evening as we draw near you in worship, that you would be satisfied with our worship because it's pure and true worship. Lord, we're not going through the motions and throwing up moldy bread, blind animals. Lord, that as we sing these last few songs, our heart would be different than when we began this evening. We wouldn't sing as we sang before. We wouldn't sing just because we're obligated to sing and because we always sing and because it's the right thing to do. We would sing because we see you. We see you as a father that loves us, as a master that is so kind to us, gave himself for us. Lord, that we would see you as a great king because truly you are. And it should be us that proclaims it to the nations. Lord, let us do just that tonight. Move in our midst. Convict our hearts. Draw us close to you. And let us praise you. For we are so greatly loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.